are on week two of uh, God Divorced. We spent last week talking about the way that most of us live our walks with Jesus um, as if we had divorced Him. It's this idea that uh, we find ways to make boundaries and separations because what happens in marriage and in relationships, when we lose control, when we lose our ability to get what we need from the other person, and we lose our understanding of how to give that person what they want from us, things get messy. And that is often when we begin to pull back. What happens is we go from a place of it's us and ours and we, and it goes to it's mine and I and what about me? And so what we do is we find ways to protect us. And so we begin to draw back. We begin to, to, to make separations. And of course, the ultimate example, when you get divorced, you have to kind of uh, separate and divide up what's what. Who gets time with the kids? Who gets the lake house? Who gets the house? Who gets the, the car? Who gets the dogs? All that kind of stuff. And this is actually the way most of us walk and live with God. We say, Sunday is yours. Saturday is my day to, to hang out and relax. Monday through Friday is just work. It's just the way life is. Um, Church is a place for God, but whenever I go to the movies, that's a place for me. My 10% of my income is God's, but the 90%, that's for me, right? And it's this idea that we find ways to coexist with God, cohabitate, right? It's the idea that where we want to get the benefits from relationship with God, but we don't want to have to pay a price for it. Amen? Everyone's like, ah, I remember I wanted to skip this Sunday. And so what happens is we, we continue this cycle of trying to find a comfort zone with God. Now, who knows that if you have a healthy marriage, you should not be super comfortable. Meaning, if you are very comfortable, it's because you have either... I have to be very careful. Okay. We tend to find comfort zones when we both agree to stop growing together. Meaning, growth forces us to be uncomfortable. Growth forces us to give and to challenge and to step out, to be vulnerable, to put our walls down. You will never reach a place with anyone in your life to where you have already laid down all walls, all barriers, all insecurities. We will always be doing that because you are always what? Changing, right? There's things that that happen in your life. You can open up completely to someone and then go through one day of life and have all sorts of new things to share. Okay, so for us to be growing in relationship, we are always having to be a little bit uncomfortable. There's always a little bit of a vulnerability, okay? For a marriage to be healthy, we are always having to sacrifice for it, meaning put the other before ourselves. Now, in the Scriptures, we see that this kind of falls right in uh, with the teachings of Jesus, right? He sums up the law by saying what? To love the Lord your God with everything, and then what? To love your neighbor as your Self, the idea to put the other person above yourself. And so the entire life of a Christian is finding a way to put God first and finding a way to put everyone else first. And then we find ourselves where? Last. Right? But what is it about the kingdom of God? He says the last shall be first. Because what happens is when we begin to place ourselves last, who is the one taking care of our needs and our dreams and our insecurities and our hurts and our pains? Is it us? I've got one person 
saying yes or no over here on the side, okay? The answer would be no. What happens is when we become the last, who, who, who is it who's now going to take care of us? God, right? This is the way that this relationship is supposed to work. And so for us to be walking in complete unity with God, it means that we are having to continually invest ourselves in others, in Him, in the people around us, in our friends, relationships, in our neighbors, all that kind of stuff. And so, in essence, for us to begin to live in the kingdom, we have to live the opposite that we would live in the world, okay? In the world, we have to look out for us and ours, right? It's important to, to get what's yours, to protect what's yours. Does that sound familiar? This is going to be a long... I know it's raining outside, okay? But, I mean, it's, it's dry in here, all right? Right, Matthew. It's this kingdom living, guys. And so what's going on here in this whole thing with God is that we have to understand that the entire point of this existence, okay, like everything that you know, okay, time, matter, who you are, the things you feel, see, you know, touch and smell, all of this exists for one purpose. It is culminating to one destination, which is what? The union with God. Right? It all starts where God creates us. He creates creation. And He says what? I want to be close to this person and to this place. And then things get messed up. And now we're heading to what? The union of heaven and earth. This idea to where we will be brought into full connection, full unity with God. The analogy, uh, the metaphor used is marriage. And so it's the idea that the bride of Christ, meaning that all of us are being prepared for full intimacy, for full face-to-faceness, if you would, with God. So what happens is, is that we are in a, in a place of preparation. This life is supposed to be a life of learning what eternity will be like. We are learning here in this world how to live with Him, how to put Him first, how to have this complete life of, of complete union and marriage with God now. Most of us live as if this time, okay, your 60, 70, 80 years, right, is kind of your time. And then eternity is what? It's, it's, it's heaven, it's, you know, it's God's time, right? You guys have the picture of bright lights and harps and clouds, right? I mean, like, you don't really have a whole lot of interest in that, right? So you're kind of like, so I get these 70 years and I get to watch the hogs and I get to have my boat and I get to go to the lake and I get to do my thing. And then he gets the rest of our eternity, we're like, we'll have to sing these stupid songs and float on clouds. I mean, it sounds dumb when I say it like that, but that's how we live, right? Like, this is our space, and that is His space, and one day we have to go live in His space. Again, Sunday is His, but the rest of it is mine. So, the question we asked last week was, have we divorced God? The question for this week is, are we willing to live in full unity with God? Meaning... Are you ready to marry God? I know that sounds weird. Okay, guys, I know it's going to be a stretch. Okay, don't picture yourself in a dress. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Marriage exists to show us the ultimate example on the earth of intimacy, trust, and closeness, right? In the Scriptures, it talks about the two fleshes becoming one. It's the, it's the closest thing that we can understand 
the type of relationship which he desires with us. It's this idea that the two would become one in such a way that they would get lost in each other. That, that at one point it was very easy to tell the two apart, but when they come together, they will be so close that they will begin to intermingle and become one. They get lost in each other. So the, the question for this morning is, are we willing to get lost in God? No volunteers. Still no volunteers. Two people. Awesome. We are ready for this. All right, if you guys have your Bibles, let's go to the Gospel of John. Chapter 15, verse 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 4. I will be reading from the Message Bible. Um, Eugene Pearson, uh, he's the one who kind of authored this. I used to hate the Message Bible. I used to think it was just like the worst thing in the world. Then I got to know who this person is, and I thought, oh my goodness. And so, this is a great tool for us. Um, I wouldn't make this your only reader, if you would, like the only, the only you know, translation you read, but it is such a rich translation. What he's doing, he's doing all the hard work for us, okay? So he is someone who's gone through all of the, I guess, 12 years of training, you know, and having to learn all the languages, the grammar, the context, the historical context. And so what he does is he takes the passage... And he pulls everything out of it, which it would take us all these resources, okay, these, these, these piles of books and penances and all these kind of things. It would take us all this time just to get what was really being said. He does it for us, okay? So, the message Bible, chapter 15, verse 4 is what it says, Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. You can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you will ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who He is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in his love. Now, I just love this. Um, the King James, I think, used the word abide. Okay, Now, since not all of us understand what that word abide means, um, what he does here is he has this picture of kind of making your home, if you will, like living inside of this space with Jesus. This is what we're talking about here in this series. It's this idea that to where everything in our lives would be done inside of this, this place. Okay, what is your home to you, right? Like, what is that place? It's, it's safety, right? It, it, it's, it's safe, it's familiar, it's comfortable, it's, it's a place where you spend lots of your time, right? Uh, where do we spend most of our time as humans? In a car, in a bed, on a throne, Right? Okay. Yes, yes. 
<laughs> okay. I'll just stop right there. Okay. Two of those things are done where? In our home most of the time, okay? So most, most of our lives takes place in a familiar, safe environment, okay, which we call home, okay? For most of us, it's the place where we put our walls down the most. Uh, most of us have our favorite place. If it's a chair, if it's a room, if it's the bed, whatever, okay? If it's a back porch, we have a place where it's kind of our place. It's the place where we are the most relaxed, calm, and ourselves. It's very different from being in, in rush hour traffic in Dallas, right? I mean, like, who is the most calm in that environment? If you, okay, if you're from Arkansas, probably none of you, right? Okay, it's just not familiar, right? It's, it's, it's an environment that makes you angry and stressed and your walls go up and people are being really nice to you and giving you gestures which are just super warm and, you know, fuzzy, you know, and, and so it just makes all your walls drop. No, okay, it's the opposite of that, right? I mean, but home is this place where, again, we are our most closest to being ourselves, if you would. And so the idea in the Scriptures, and I believe Colossians also has the same kind of mirror, if you would, when he talks about us growing up in Christ. It's this picture to where everything in our lives will be brought inside this, this safe, kind of secure space where everything is in this. Now, this analogy is very different from how most of us live. Would you agree? Okay. Is your life, is, do you live, if you would, in this relationship with Christ? Or... Is your relationship with Christ part of one of your boxes in life? Okay, I have my church, I have the time I pray. Who has devotional time? Five people. Awesome, okay. Who has devotional time 24-7? You're all sinning, because Jesus said what? He said what? Pray without... Or was that Paul? I think it was Paul. Anyway, it, it doesn't matter, right? We're all messing up, okay? The entire idea, right, is that we're supposed to be praying all the time. I wouldn't want to be in the car with you, with some of you, if you were having to pray and drive. Okay? Read your devotional and drive, okay? Uh, I don't know. Okay, it's, we have trouble with this understanding, right? Because again, we do this to everything. We make boundaries. We separate things. We put them in boxes. Okay, here's this, here's that, here's that. These things are different. What's interesting is, I, how do you put that? I personally believe it's one of the ways that we are image bearers of God. We see that one of the first things that God does before He even creates us is He makes boundaries, right? He has land and sea. He has light and darkness, okay? It's this idea of, of putting things in their place. But we have problem when it comes to God because what? He's not, He's the one thing who doesn't have a place, right? He is all things. He's everywhere. He, he doesn't have boundaries, right? He's the one person and thing that we cannot put into a box, and it troubles us. It's very frustrating. Now, depending on like what kind of upbringing you had in churches, okay, your box might look different. Um, if you were charismatic Pentecostal, your box was the Holy Spirit experience. So when you got goosebumps in church, okay, like when someone's screaming in languages which you didn't know, whenever someone's prophesying or praying for someone, or if you see someone being slain, or if the music's great, that to you was the God box, right? Here's what it feels like and looks like when God shows up, okay? If you guys were 
Baptist or Methodist. I have to be so careful with these boxes, right? It looked different. We'll just say that, right? <laughs> it, much more calm, right? Um, if you were uh, Catholic or Episcopalian or Presbyterian, right, your God box included communion. It included uh, special dress. It included a, a building with high ceilings, which we kind of have here, with stained glass and with incense and smells and sights and sounds. Basically, we all had our God box. The Jews had a God box too, okay? Their God box was called the temple, all right? And, and it was their space where God was easily put and kept and understood. And as long as God stayed inside this box, they understood Him. But when God took a different shape, when He left the box, when He put on a different appearance and a different smell and a different feel, and he started doing this weird thing. He started walking and talking and eating. It sounds silly to you guys, and most of you would be very troubled if God came and ate food with you. Would that not throw your world completely up? He shows up, hey, let's go to La Fiesta. You say, I like El Trio. All right. It would, it, it would mess you up. It would really frustrate you because that's not who God is is to you. That's not how you've trained yourself to understand God. Let's use this one, for example. Uh, who grew up with... Oh, man, I might get in big trouble with this one. Um, who grew up with country music? Okay, good. Who grew up with, like, pop, like Britney Spears, like... Oh, bless you, child. I'm just kidding. <laughs> who grew up with hip-hop? You guys are like... <laughs> what happened the first time that you listened to ah, the Beatles? Hip-hop generation, okay? What was the first reaction when you heard the Beatles? Yeah. Country crowd. What was your first reaction to Snoop Dogg? Right? That is not where music is for me. Okay, here's what music looks like. Here's what it feels like. Here's what it sounds like. Here is my music box. We have problems with this. Now, this transcends all different areas and levels. And again, I don't want to get into too many. We'll start some fights in here this Sunday. But what happens from... Yeah. Grace Church is a very interesting place because I feel like for almost everyone, you should come in here and see God show up in your box a little bit, okay? If you're liturgical, if you're Baptist, if you're charismatic, you should see a little bit of God in the way that you're familiar, but I hope that you get really uncomfortable and see God outside of your box as well. You have no idea how, how much arguing and fighting I had to do to get us to do communion more than once a month. Actually, more than once a year. We used to do it once a year for charismatic. What are you saying about that? I mean, it, it's only bread and juice, Devin. The first time that we had to have an electric guitar on the stage. You guys have no idea. You take it for granted. This is a big deal. A big deal. So we're not going to have a choir? Why do we even have those seats up there? <laughs> but my church had a choir, Devin. What happens when God is walking outside of your box? 
will you be able to notice him in the street? One of the things I see in marriage counseling is that when the two people have started to, to separate, when they have decided that it's time for them to look out for themselves, it's time to protect their interest, their future, their money, their kids, whatever, when they start to separate, one of the things that's very interesting is when you ask them questions about the other person, how many of the answers are wrong? They, they stop knowing each other. It's a very interesting thing. Simple questions, okay? What kind of music does, you know, he like to listen to? Um, what kind of hobbies? What, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, all sorts of different questions. And again, it's so interesting because the reason that they're unable to know each other is, again, because they have assumed that the other person is the exact same as when they got married 20 years ago, 15 years ago, five years ago. And they are not. Now, we're not talking about God being this God who's always changing. We'll talk about that some other Sunday, and that'll be a whole different thing. What we're talking about is the fact that most of us have got to know God in a certain setting, in a certain box. And the problem is with, with Jesus following, right? It's an active, constant, daily choice. The problem with following Jesus is what? He doesn't stay still. One of the first things that you will find with following Jesus, which will make you have to rethink your choice, is when he starts to do things and act in a certain way and show up in places that you are not comfortable. For example, who here knows what, what was the number one complaint that the Pharisees always had about Jesus? Sabbath? What else? who he ate with. He was always showing up where he was not supposed to be. So you eat with tax collectors? So you eat with sinners? So you let this woman who's a prostitute come to your table? You let her touch you? You even let those lips who have kissed hundreds of men kiss you? <laughs> Getting uncomfortable yet? One of the things that bothered me so much as a charismatic child, I guess, whenever I started to grow up and I really started to say, Lord, I want to, to know all of you. I want to know you deeper, more intimately. I, I'm willing to have my boxes shattered, okay? One of the most difficult things for me was liturgical church, okay? So communion and incense and foot washing and, you know, priests and, you know, uh, a service that was all written out a year 16 years in advance, okay? Like, I could not take that. Ugh. He would never show up there. There's no Holy Spirit goosebumps in that room. <laughs> Come on, guys. Uh, and it, it, it shattered my world to find people in that world who knew Jesus and loved Jesus as much, if not more, than I did. How could you know him? Like, there's no way he would show up there. It shattered my world to find out that there was some good music outside of Air One. <laughs> right? Air One's like, stop right there. One of the things that we have to understand when it comes to how we divorce God, 
how we separate God is one of the first things that we do is we begin to make judgments on our own and choose what is sacred, what is ordinary. Meaning the places where God shows up and the places where God does not show up. Let me show you some examples. One of the first things that we do, we begin to judge, and again, if you guys have been at Grace for a while, you know I always go back to Genesis 1. Okay, So one of the, the first seats that we stepped into that was not ours to sit into was the role of judge. And so when we walk with Jesus, one of the first things that we have to hand over is our right to be judge and jury of our own lives and of others. So what happens with this is the first things that we do is we begin to judge what is a sacred and what is a secular place, meaning where does God show up and where does God not show up? For example, if you're taking notes, we expect God to show up where? In churches, right? In the right churches, the ones who do things the right way. Come on, be honest with me, okay? The ones who do things the right way, the way that God wants them to be done. There are many churches right now who are pointing their finger at you, by the way. You guys who did not show up in suits this morning. Preachers who get up here with strawberry jam all over them, okay? I'm telling you. We expect God on, on, in churches. We expect Him to show up when? On Sundays. Let me ask you a question. Last night when you were watching the Hogs absolutely pound that high school team, how many of you were going, Holy Spirit fall? <laughs> Did you walk in the room with your Bible? I have a word from the Lord this morning. <laughs> this evening, I guess. No, you didn't. Why? Because you do not expect God to show up there. That is not a sacred place. That is not one of the, that is not a God place. That's our space. That's not God's space. How about Christmas? We expect God to show up at Christmas, right? Because, you know, like, that's all about baby Jesus, and we all know that he was born on that day, right? <laughs> hey, I love Christmas, and I will talk about this plenty in about two months, okay? We expect him to show up, right? We'll get the candlelight going. Baby Jesus on the screen. Surely he's going to show up here. What about this month when Halloween <laughs> rolls around? Are you guys expecting the love of Jesus to manifest in the streets? Okay. Are you going to be doing it? Everyone's like, beyond churches. <laughs> right? <laughs> we get to stay home. They get to work that day. We get to stay home and you know, cheer them on from the background, right? We see church as this sacred place where God shows up, but we see nature as just nature. Some of you, a few of you, when you guys go fishing, when you go hiking, when you go outdoors, you've learned that it is a sacred place for you. You've learned it's a place where God shows up for you. You've learned it's a place where you see God, okay? One of the things that we don't understand is those temples and those um, cathedrals, the reason that they were built the way they were, the reason they had these you know, super high ceilings and the stained glass and you know, the architecture, it was built to, to communicate to us 
Not that God shows up in that place, but to communicate to us that this was God's space, meaning the ceilings were high and the stained glass and all this beauty was meant to communicate to them every moment they came in that not the building, but that everything it was pointing to, these huge steeples that, you know, stretch up to the sky. It was meant to show, man, this is God's space. Not the building. Everything that this building is trying to point to is God's space. But... To us, this is sacred. This is where God showed up. He didn't show up over here. Who here will wake up tomorrow morning going, this is, is God's day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice, <laughs> right? No, you see, it's a Monday. It's a case of the Mondays. It's back to work, right? It's, it's the ordinary. It's back to the humdrum. You know, because it's it, it's, you know, in this world, in this life, we have to work. We have to make money. So I'm going to work, honey. Right? Or I talked about Halloween. We also begin to, to, to make judgments on what is a sacred and what is a, a, a secular practice, if you would. So, prayer, fasting, worship, right? These are all seen as, as, as places where God shows up. When I pray, God shows up. But yet, these other practices, right? How about hugging? If you guys know me, you guys know I do not believe hugging is a sacred thing. I believe that is, that is like one of the, the hard things in life. We have to hug people sometimes, Devin. Suck it up. I don't necessarily experience God in hugs, okay? Like, it's just for me, it's a separate thing. But is it supposed to be? What about listening? I've had so many people tell me, you know what, Devin, you are. Well, some people. You're such a good counselor. I was like, you've been talking for 50 minutes. I haven't said a word. (laughs) What they really meant was, you're a good listener. Or, you know, you just don't interrupt me. Okay. You know, again, we see fasting as a spiritual thing, but listening is just listening. We see worship as a spiritual thing. But what about resting? We've turned the Sabbath into doing, right? We get dressed, we come to church, we sing, we, we listen to a sermon, and you know, like we check the scores on our phone, and then we go home and do whatever, right? What about resting? The entire spiritual sacred day has been set aside for one thing. Rest. We see this activity which God Himself was, was so intent on making special. And He said, this, this thing is a special place. You need to protect this space of rest. But yet, as Americans, we are some of the worst in the entire world at resting. Why? Because we don't see it as sacred. It's not special. It's just what? Another day. We also begin to, to judge and make, make separations on what is sacred or a secular space. For example, music, right? Who here thinks that Michael W. Smith is a sacred music space? 
You guys are just like waiting to get hit with a club. I'm not raising my hand. What about Smashing Pumpkins? If, if, if anyone even knows who they are, right? Uh, Pastor Zach, I remember this. This was years and years ago. There's a band called Mumford and Sons. Uh, who knows about them? Anybody? Okay. Yeah, you guys all rock, by the way. Poor people. I mean, you guys are amazing. Okay, so we were talking about this band one Sunday, and Pastor Zach goes, I'd love to have them like lead a worship set. And boy, I jumped down his throat. No. Are you kidding me? And then I had this about three months where I could not get a thing from any worship music. I mean, you know, I'd be at the gym or I'd be at home or I'd be in the car and I'd have something playing and it was just dry as a bone. And then I would put this album on and be like crying like a baby. There's cuss words in those albums. I just want you to know. You guys are like, we are leaving this church forever. I know you guys listen to the Beatles talking about drugs and sex. All right, so don't you be accusing me. Country music with your whiskey and bourbon, you know. Don't even. <laughs> Just because the country music doesn't sound as bad when he has a twang to his voice, okay? Talk about the same things, okay? Goodness gracious. I was not comfortable when God would show up in a space I, that he wasn't supposed to be. When he would look different, that when he would choose to speak to me in a different place. I hated this. Um, I really do have a problem with God when he chooses to do things I don't want him to do. Ah, interesting, right? I started to find God showing up in all these very odd, weird places, and I did not, did not like it. It made my religious self very angry, very angry. And, and so me and Pastor Larry had so many late-night talks about this. Okay, is it possible for God to show up when you're you know, in this place or in this space or, you know, whatever. And it was so frustrating. And what happened to me was the more that I began to get into the Gospels, the more I began to see that the very reason that his own people, that the Jews, rejected him was this exact same reason. When he would not show up, act, speak, live, dress the way that they wanted him to, they would not receive him. And it might sound like a stretch, but most of us, you are divorcing and separating yourselves from life with God because you are not willing for Him to show up or to be with you in that space. For example, we took this trip to San Antonio. Um, again, a sign of a healthy marriage is when two people are not willing to have any space that isn't shared. I didn't say that's a smart thing. I said it's a healthy thing. The original plan was for me to get a rental car and drive down on my own this weekend. I said, honey, I don't want to be away from you. You know, we want to hang out together and, you know, have a family time. At a time machine, I would go back. <laughs> I would tell that self of mine three days ago, don't be a fool. You can text her, you can Skype, whatever. Sometimes there is a discomfort, there's a messiness, there it's uncomfortable to encounter and to share space with God that we are not used to. 
But it is a beautiful, powerful thing. In this passage here in John 15, that, we, that our lives, that we would live in, that we would abide, that everything that we do would be done, if you would, in tandem. In essence, holding hands with God, that we would take Him and follow Him into every area of our lives. An example. It's much easier for you to put your work hat on tomorrow, okay, to get your, your mindset ready, your emotions ready, and just to go to work tomorrow. That is far easier. But the heart of God is that you would go into work and be fully present with God every second of the day. It's not saying that you would pull it off, okay? It's not saying that you wouldn't have those moments where you behave like you're at work, right? If anyone's honest, right? Where you get angry at people or you think thoughts you shouldn't think or you do something you shouldn't do. It's easier to just separate this is work and this is God's space. This is called um, the old mystics of the faith. Uh, what they called this was practicing the presence of God, meaning practicing being present with God. Training yourself to be aware of Him in everything at all times. Because what's so difficult for us is that we know this, okay? If I were to ask you a Sunday school question and say, okay, where is God? If, you know, is there anywhere that God is not near you? If I go to the four-year-olds and ask them this question, okay, is God always with you? What are they going to say? Jesus is always with us, right? He's in our hearts, <laughs> right? But in our lives, he's locked in the closet until Sunday morning, right? <laughs> Wait till I get home, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I watch a show to relax, and then I'll do some devotional time. Or, you know, wait till it's morning when all the kids and the wife are asleep, and then I'll do devotional time with you. It's so much messier. It's so much harder. But this is what it is to, to walk and live with Jesus. This is what it is to be a Jesus follower because, again, the whole problem with following Jesus, it is a continual moment-by-moment moment choice. It is not this thing that we separate to, a, I did a prayer, I go to church, I pray every once in a while, I whatever. This is what it is. It is a relationship, and we hate that. Few of us actually want... Jesus to be interested in relationship. Most of us want him to just tell us how to live, some rules, and we'll do it. Because it's much easier that way. Many of us had a certain image of marriage before we got married, right? Who was naive enough to think that marriage was your wife would do her job and you would do your job? <laughs> yeah. Do we have any newlyweds I pick on? No, okay. You, you find out really soon it's not that clean. You wish it was sometimes, right? That we could just, you know, here's what you do, here's what I do, you know. Here's things we share, here's things we don't share. Honey, here's your closet. Here's my closet. Your clothes go in that closet. Yeah. Closets, all the closets. Okay, I got you. Now, here's the question, okay? What really is sacred? Okay, so we're talking about the ways we separate God, but what really is sacred? What do the Scriptures, what does Jesus show us truly is sacred? Here's the first thing you guys are taking notes. Time. Time is sacred. Time is our most valuable commodity. How we use the portion we have will determine eternity. In this life, God and our relationships are only touchable in the present. 
That's all pretty weighty, but I love that last line. What I love and hate about life, if you would, is that the things that matter the most are only accessible in the present. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Um, When I am next to my wife, okay, that is the only real moment when I can fully access her, okay, like in the present. If I have the most troubling thing going on at work, it does not matter. If I want to be present with her, I have to choose. Am I going to be over here? Am I going to be over there? Your present moment, okay, right now, this moment, you have a choice. Every single second is a choice. Where will I be? And you can physically be one place and truly be another place, right? Right? I, I, oh, gosh, I hate this. My kids have taught me this more than anything. I hate it. Realizing how quickly they grow. Just, it makes that reality hit you, right? What do I really remember of my child's, you know, five years, 15 years, 20 years, right? How present was I? And with my kids learning that they had learned, if you would, that to get my attention, they had to take their hand and put it on my cell phone and then talk to me first. How awful is that? What's so hard about God is that He is, He chooses to confine Himself with you into one place, in the present. That's exactly where He is. But we always want to push Him off to a different space. I'll spend time with you then, or I'll see you on Sunday. I'll see you in my devotional time. I'll talk to you here. I'll talk to you there. Well, you know, whatever. The problem is God is accessible, and He, and he desires to connect with you in the present. The people in my life who have been the ultimate examples of what it is to be mature, to walk with God, are, are weird human beings. I'll just be honest with you. You guys are like, well, okay, it makes sense with you. Um, the people that I've learned the most from don't fit in easily everywhere else. It's almost like they're absent-minded. It's almost like they're somewhere else. Uh, what am, uh, what's his name? Bel Eid. He's a spiritual mentor of mine from Algeria. The first time I met him, I, I was supposed to pick him up in a car and take him somewhere else, and I couldn't wait. And, you know, I had all these ways that I was going to wow him and, you know, impress him with, you know, how godly I was, okay? And so I'm sitting here in the car, and he walks out the car, and he opens the door and sits down. And, and so I start in with my, you know, spiel. You know, hey, you know, here, look, yeah, look how awesome I am. And I realized about five minutes in, like, he's not even looking. Like, he's, he's, he's like, looking out the window, and he's muttering to himself. And I'm thinking, okay. And I realized he's not even talking to me or about me. He doesn't even really know I'm there yet. Like, he had said hi. He was nice. I, I didn't realize he was in a conversation still. He hadn't stopped it. Oh, he's just talking to Jesus. No, really. Like, he's talking. And I thought, either he's really close to God or this guy is psycho. But I found out that some of these people who, who I saw something different, I, you know, I saw God in them in a way I didn't see in others, they had learned to prioritize being present 
with God over everything else. Now, I'm not talking about the fact that, you know, you have to walk around talking to God audibly. Oh, hey, Jesus, how are you doing today? Oh, thank you. I love this shirt too. I'm not, I'm not saying that, okay? Like, it doesn't have to look that way. It's, it's training yourself to just be aware that they're around, okay? With my kids, okay, I, I can tell if I'm being present if, if I turn around and I realize that the house is on fire. I probably haven't been present, right? Oh, look what's happening. Okay, great. You know, I don't have to necessarily like, like you know, track my kids and hold their hands and be like, you look at me, you look at me. We're going to be present in this moment together. Okay, like, that's not how we do it. Okay, but, but I know when I'm present with them, when I am sensitive to where they are. That makes sense. Like, I'm aware of what they're doing. I'm aware of how they're feeling. I can just tell. Like, again, I don't even have to be face-to-face. I can just, you know, in the same room, I can just tell. I, I am actively paying attention to them, fully paying attention. When I have my phone out, I'm doing this, okay? You know, all that kind of stuff, okay? I, I, I'm not able to fully connect and to be present with him. And, and again, I mean, like, this is how we are to, to understand what it is that God is after, you know, Yes, it's great that you tithe, it's great that you pray, it's great that you, you know, fast, whatever, okay? What God is wanting is all of you. And what this means, this, this being present thing, is again, it's a moment-by-moment choice and practice. Second thing, which is sacred, is work. Everyone's like, work? Work is how we utilize the time, strength, and the abilities that God has given us. Where and how we work reveals how we see God, and how we see ourselves. Did you hear that? Where and how we work reveals how we see God and how we see ourselves. I'll just let that sink in. We're going to have an entire Sunday just on work, okay? The third place, which is sacred, is relationships. Relationships are the most sacred things that we have. They're here that we should always evaluate. It's here that we should always evaluate the worth or the wealth of a man. You know, if you want to know how much God has blessed someone, don't look at their house or their car or their finances. He can and He does bless us in those places too. Look at their relationships. Look at them. Look at the marriage. Look at the kids. Look at, at close friends. Uh, look at the way they treat their neighbors and, and strangers and I used to, oh my goodness, I, one of the reasons that, that we do church this way is I could not stand the way that I was trained to treat people as a minister. I couldn't stand that we were, we were taught to have our own parking spot and to, to not chat in the foyer and to not, you know, waste time if we go from our house to the office to the stage to the office to home. And, you know, we'd have a guest minister who'd come in here and you know, they would just treat everyone like junk. Oh, they'd talk to me. They'd talk to Pastor Larry. Oh, yeah, well, you know, we're all best buds. But they wouldn't talk to anybody else. If you haven't noticed, they don't come here anymore. We are able to see, you can see how mature, how closely someone walks with Jesus by the way that they interact with those around them. I'm not talking about the fake kind of a high-buy thing, okay? I'm talking about the way they treat people. Do they pay attention 
Do they listen? Do they really care? Or is it just a game? Are they trying to get something from someone? Or are they actually there to get to know someone? Bishop Duke, who will be here, uh, I think around December, and I love the way that he acts, okay? When we ever have a conference or something with other ministers, he is, he, he's not rude. He just doesn't seem interested with them. Yeah, how you doing? Yeah. He always goes straight to the kids. He always goes straight to anyone who's sick. He goes straight to Sean who has autism, and he's hanging out with them. I love it. The way that you interact with all the relationships in your life, starting with God, the way that you prioritize, you invest your life, do you, do you live with separation, with borders in your heart and with your time? Are you only going to live, you know, spend so much time here or there? Uh, as a pastor, I have been taught that the most efficient, the most effective way for me to, to pastor is not to not ever have coffee or lunch or breakfast with anyone. And I will tell you this, it is the, the biggest consumption of time in my week. I've been taught that to grow my church, I spend all my time in my office. I don't go out to, for meetings. If they want to meet, they come here. It's a section meeting. It's very short. I focus on growth and leadership and decisions and vision, and that's what I do to grow a church. I create separation and boundaries on my life and my time. Now, there's wisdom in these things in some places, but we are not to live this way. The way that we are to live is without separations and boundaries in the area especially of relationships. There are not people that we invest in and people we don't invest in. There's not people that are worth talking to and people who are not worth talking to. I cannot emphasize this enough. I don't care how many giftings or how, you know, how sinless the person is, all this kind of stuff. You can tell how closely someone walks and chooses to follow God by the way they treat people. That simple. Because for us, to live in complete marriage with God, to live in intimacy with Him, to truly choose to follow Jesus, it means to, to give God everything, to love Him in a way that everything, like there are no separations, there's no limitation to what God has access to in my life. And secondly, there's no limit to what I will pour into my neighbor because I will love them even more than I love myself. Amen? Let's all stand.